Man. Great job, guys. <laughs> How old were you when you learned Jesus loves me? What happened? <laughs> what happened? I mean, seriously, somewhere along the way we like forgot that we are so greatly loved, so dearly loved and greatly enjoyed. Oh, I, this is the last message in this series, but this is not the last you're going to hear about God's love. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is the new normal, okay? Just, uh, just wrap your heart around that, that reality. This is uh, where we're going to be from now on. We have wrestled with God's love for us through this series in so many ways, and, and we're going to continue to do so because... I think it's going to take us a while to really believe it, as Steve pointed out earlier. And when you believe it, it's going to set you free. When you believe it, it's going to move you into a place of, of acceptance, of love, of peace, but also of power and authority, which we'll be getting to sometime. But right now, we have to learn to believe that we're loved and what that means in our life. We have, we have walked into how Jesus washed the disciples' feet and set us in a new covenant of being accepted and loved. We have walked through the stories of Judas and Peter, and we saw what it was to be empty, and we saw what it was to live uh, by our own effort. We have looked our own imposter in the face and realized that we were hiding behind something, and, and then we found out that God sees us and loves us as we truly are. No mask required. Your most honest, broken self, He happily and joyously embraces and brings close to Himself. We realize that God loved us in our ordinariness, if we could say that. We talked about enjoying Jesus and relating to the Father. We learned a few Greek words, prosukimai, mino, and all those things. And you were like, that's Greek to me, but we'll come back to them. Don't worry. By the end of next year, you're going to know at least eight Greek words pretty well. And last week, we embraced our need to remain in all of that love. So now what? Build a building? Stain the glass? Hug ourselves until Jesus comes back? Eh. <laughs> and that's what today's about. I mean, love does things. <laughs> I have a joke that's coming up next that I did not mean as a joke, but Steve pointed it out, so now it's going to be a joke. John 15, 13. There is no greater love, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And this is my command, love each other. Love does. Now I know it's hunting season and you just read love does. <laughs> and you're like, I need one of those in my freezer. Yes, I do. <laughs> and you do, because Jesus cooked meat over charcoal. Yes, you need does in your freezer. Okay. <laughs> that was another sermon. If you missed it, I'm sorry. Uh, it's on YouTube or something, I bet. <sighs> love just, love doesn't just sit around and do nothing. Love doesn't just sit in a corner and just go, man, I, it's great to be loved. I bet most of you in this room have a mom. Probably all. I bet we're at 100%. I don't know. 
Some of you know I'm made out of Play-Doh and cauliflower. <laughs> uh, I don't know how you remember your mom, but I remember mine. I remember my, I know my mother-in-law. I know my wife, my children's mom, who I'm happen to be married to, and uh, which is good. <laughs> Uh, I tell you what, mothers are our first look in life at unconditional sacrificial love. I mean, uh, my wife, she's, we, we've been married 36 years. We've had kids right at 36 years. She hasn't sat down in 36 years. Okay, once. Just kidding. I mean, love does stuff. For a mother, it, it starts with taking care of an infant and, and dealing with some messy things. Like diapers. Um, it cooks meals. It does really practical things. Uh, some of you are in the stage where it's a taxi driver and you're just running kids everywhere. And you're just like, you wish you could charge a fare. You would be doing well. So. Love just does things. Love enters into th- things. It comes into stuff. It gives up. Love doesn't have this self-preservation thing going on or this self-interest thing going on. Self-interest and self-preservation move away from situations. Love walks in. I mean, back to the mother illustrations. When you hear that noise of a child sick in the night, you know, that projectile thing. And mom rushes in. And dad, well, I don't know about you guys, but me, I'm like, do you need anything? I hope not. Just kidding. Any parent would rush in. I'm just having fun with guys and girls just because I like to create tension for lunch. Love enters. Love serves. Like Jesus demonstrated. Love picks up a towel and and washes dirty feet. It steps in. It it lets go of its own pride. Self-preservation and self-interest are like, no, you need to fix that yourself. I'm not going to help you with that. Uh, Even though we have trouble fixing ourselves, where love steps in and says, I can help. I may not be okay myself, but I can help you be okay. Love enters, love sacrifices, love serves. Love costs, it costs convenience, it costs loss, it has losses, it gives beyond its ability, it always goes, it always stays somewhere, it always pays something, and it always does that when no one else will. Love does things. Love creates motion. So when I begin to embrace the simple reality that the Father loves me, I am loved, I am accepted, I am enjoyed. When I begin to rest in that reality, that, is, that doesn't just sit there like a warm blanket, that creates emotion in my life. It gives me a strength and an energy that just has to come out. It has to go somewhere. And there's so many examples of that in nature. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move right on, and I want to look at how Jesus was affected by being dearly loved and greatly enjoyed. I want you to see this. Because being dearly loved and greatly enjoyed is going to change your life in so many ways. It's going to change what you do. Change where you focus. So look at Jesus. In John 5.19, Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by Himself. He does only what He sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. 
So I want you to see that here's the son saying, I'm not doing anything on my, myself. I don't get up in the morning. I'm putting words in Jesus' mouth here, but it's based on what I just read. I don't get up in the morning and think of something cool to do for the father. Why? Because I'm not trying to get the father to like me. Do you understand that? That's what we have. This is why this has to be the anchor and foundation for your faith. This is the gospel, my friends. This is the gospel. That I am loved, I am accepted, and I start from that place. I'm not trying to get to that place. If I keep, if I will not believe that God dearly loves me and greatly enjoys me, then I'm rejecting the gospel. That's what I need you to understand, okay? If I can't accept that, then I'm saying, well, I appreciate it all, God, but you're wrong. I need to do things to impress you. And that is going to leave you in a place of spiritual bondage, defeated by sin, covered in weakness, no power, no authority, just like I don't know what the percentage is of the church today. Way up there. So Jesus didn't walk out the door going, gee, i got to find something to do today so my Father will like me. Instead, He walked out the door loved. And He knew His Father. And he always knew, just like your dad, he also knew that his father was always up to something. His father was always up to something. So when Jesus walked out the door into the world, or out of his tent, or however he slept at night, into the world, he walked out loved and looking. Loved and looking. We learn to walk out of our doors every day, loved and looking, to walk into our homes and our family lives, loved and looking for what the Father's doing, because whatever the Father's doing, that's what the Son wants to be doing. Whatever the Father does, that's what the Son does. The Son walks into the same that the Father. So that's how His love began. That's what affected Jesus. He wasn't trying to get accepted. He was looking where the, what the Father was up to. John 5.20, Jesus says the Father loves the Son and shows Him everything He's doing. He's not the Father, your Father, your Heavenly Father is not hiding stuff from you. He might be hiding stuff for you, you know, like Christmas. My mother hid all my toys at the neighbor's house. Boy, were they surprised. The Father shows him everything he's doing. In fact, the Father will show him how to do even greater works. Mega ergos. Greater mega works. Then healing this man, he's referring to an event, and then you'll be truly astonished. The word here, by the way, for the Father loving the Son is the word phileo, which is the same word that Peter used in reference to Jesus, which I just want to make a footnote on John 21, which was its own message that you should go back and listen to for real. But that's why in John 21, Jesus, Peter is not saying, Jesus, I, I love you a little when you want me to love you a lot. This is why you know that's not the exact interpretation because here the Father, phileo, brotherly love, I would do anything for you, love, for the Son. Okay? So Jesus, Jesus is looking for the Father to work. He's continually aware of the Father because he knows something about God. He taught us with God Nothing's impossible. 
So think about this. Jesus is walking through his days, and he's looking because he's loved. He's not looking for acceptance. He's not looking to try to get accepted. He's looking for what the Father's up to. And with the Father, nothing's impossible. And so he's looking for the mega works of the Father. And so he's, he, that's what he's looking for in life. So uh, let's see. A, a leper walks up to Jesus. A leper walks up. You know, they're kind of nasty by my imagination perspective of things. You know, leprosy's still around, right? Never pick up an armadillo. Just, just don't, okay? All right, it's still around. It's a bacterial infection. <laughs> You're like, man, I won't be able to eat lunch. Now, I just saved you three pounds. You are good to go. You're welcome. <clears throat> Excuse me. He was looking for his father. So a leper would come up to him. <clears throat> Sometimes I get ahead of myself, and so I'm trying to uh, not do that, but it's too late. Here I go. So, so a leper would come up to him, and, and he would see that the father's working because the leper came to Jesus, you know. And this is an impossible situation in that day and age. There's nothing anybody can do. But here's the son, and the son's not trying to get anybody's approval. He doesn't care if the audience likes him. He doesn't care if the people like him. Why? Because he's accepted. He's loved, okay? So the leper comes up. Hey, God's working. It's impossible to heal a leper, but with God, anything is possible, so I guess we're going we're gonna to see a leper healed today. They bring him a dead person. This looks discouraging. I don't think he's going to get over it. But the father's working. And all of a sudden the father's working and here's the son. And the son doesn't need your approval. Doesn't need your acceptance. Doesn't need you to like what he's doing. When they laughed at him for walking into the girl's room after she died. When they mocked him for saying he could do something about death. He didn't care. He didn't need their approval. Why? He's just looking for what the Father's doing, and the Father's doing this, so I'm jumping into what the Father's doing. And things change. When the Son works with the Father, things in heaven become reality on earth. Oh, amen. That is not in my notes. If I were you, I would write that down. So, Matthew eleven nineteen, 19, the Son of Man, on the other hand, there's a comparison here between Jesus and John the Baptist. The Son of Man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks. And you say he's a glutton and a drunkard. They don't read this in some churches. I just thought I'd read it to you. No one's there. And a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. But wisdom is shown to be right by its results. Let me throw you one more and I'll, I'll draw this together. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your house today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. They grumbled. What, what I want to show you is Jesus was loved and looking for what his father was doing, and it didn't matter what you thought about what the father was doing. I'm going to tell you, whatever your idea of the most repulsive person on the planet is, that is, that is exactly how they felt about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus worked for the Roman IRS. And he was very good at his job. There are a lot of jobs you want to be good at, but I don't know about tax collecting. You know what I mean? 
Like, that would be hard. If you work for the IRS in this room, we love you. Uh, please don't. <laughs> please don't get offended. <sighs> but if you do, you're probably used to these kind of jokes, so uh, you'll probably be all right. <sighs> he was a good tax collector. And everyone hated Zacchaeus. It was not a good move for Jesus to reach out to Zacchaeus. He was not going to get his book published reaching out to Zacchaeus. His ratings on his TV show for Jesus, for God, was not going to get, they were not going to go up when he reached out to Zacchaeus because everybody was displeased. And you'll notice this about Jesus' ministry. He ticked people off a lot. Not, not, not even like being mean or repulsive, but him just trying, just finding what the Father's doing and joining them with the Father's work. Him doing what the Father wanted to do upset people. And that's what's happening in the story of Zacchaeus. So Jesus, though, I want you to see that he was so loved that he didn't matter. He was free. He was free. Have you ever been that free? Have you ever been free to the point that you could do what, you, what felt right, what was good, what was, was honorable before God, what you felt was the right thing to do, and you didn't care what anybody thought about it? Because these people were displeased and Jesus was oblivious. Wouldn't it be nice if you could live oblivious? <laughs> this isn't, Zacchaeus isn't the only one. John 8, the adulterous woman. Who was caught with some adultering man who didn't make it to the trial. I don't know how that happened. But I'm mad about it. But Jesus stood up for her and with her. The woman with the issue of blood, she was unclean. People despised people that were unclean. But Jesus stood up for her. She touched his garment and power went. She believed so much that power, she like, she, I don't know how she tapped the ATM of heaven that day. So I guess just the, the belief, like she touched his hem. She thought in her heart, she believed. She believed. She came in sync with the kingdom, even though she didn't know what the kingdom was. And she touched, she said, if I could just touch that hem, I'll be healed. And she was. And then Jesus said, who touched me? And he's like, in a crowd of people. And they're all stacked on him. The disciples are like, what do you mean who touched you? We all touched you. And he said, no, someone touched me and meant it. <laughs> you should take notes. I don't know why you're not taking notes. <sighs> Lepers. Le <laughs> Lepers would come and Jesus would love them. Roman centurions would come. Gentiles. Uh, you have no idea. You, we as Westerners, as Americans, do not understand the racism and the prejudice that existed in the nation of Israel against non-Jews or even against half-Jews. And Jesus loved Roman Gentiles. Never said a correcting word to them. His discussion with Pilate is the only one we have. Herod, he wouldn't even talk to. Herod was supposed to be Jewish, though. Oh, and then there were the dead people, which being dead is generally looked down upon. But still, all of them, whatever the Father was doing, Jesus was willing to step into it. So what affects us? See, Jesus was affected by love so much that he was looking for what the Father was doing. And in his looking, it no longer mattered what anyone thought. 
of what he was doing or what he said. And I think that's an important freedom for us as Americans to grasp. I think we are so conditioned by our culture to be controlled by the masses that if we ever get free of that controlling, if we stop trying to please everyone, I'm not talking about being a jerk or being rude. I'm talking about being free from the criticism and the judgment of other insecure people. And that begins with the love of God. We know that what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also are to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother and sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? So what affects you? Is it the security of the Father's love or the insecurity of not love from other places? Some of it, sometimes because we don't understand the Father's love. Sometimes because we believe the press of the world, the opinions of those around us, the circumstances through which we're enduring. We're in the middle of those and we think all of those things are a statement about the Father's love. They are not. Here's the statement about the Father's Son. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. And He crucified that Son for us. That is God's love. The sacrifice of the Father. God's love is not whether or not you make the bills at the end of the week. Does God care about you making the bills? Yes, He does. He loves you. He cares about all these details. But we believe things about God based on the things that we've lived through. If we begin to start at a place of dearly loved and greatly enjoyed, we can unsubscribe from our issues and we can unsubscribe from everybody else's issues. I love unsubscribe. Do you love unsubscribe? You know, I, I know. I, I was born a long time ago. I remember email before spam. I know you're sitting there going, nah. That's not a real thing. Like telephones hanging on walls, that's not a real thing. Outhouses, not a real thing. I love the fact that you can unsubscribe from stuff. <laughs> we, get, we have a, a, the text message service that some of you just signed up for, the welcome to the 307-224-4404 number. You know, all you got to do to get off that number is send the word stop back. By the way, it works on every spam text generally. Just send the word stop back. Some people can't figure that out. I had a response this week. Someone replied back to me, I'm a Satanist. And I'm like, I don't care. I love you. (laughs) And by the way, the word stop works just fine, but okay, be a Satanist. (laughs) You're like, Michael, you shouldn't tell me these things. I shouldn't, but here, there you have it. Sometimes, though, we, rather than unsubscribing, rather than accepting what the Father's done for us, we live and move from our insecurity, and that causes us to do horrible things. So when I was uh, between my seventh and eighth grade year of middle school, I, uh, we lived in South Fulton, Tennessee. We had just moved back the year before. We were pretty broke. We were living uh, what they say in that part of the country on the wrong side of the tracks. All of my friends had darker skin than me. And, uh, but I got really good at basketball that year. <sighs> I'm not good at basketball now. I decided to become a basketball. 
So one summer, I made a friend, I had several friends, but his name was Charles. This may be hard for you to imagine, but there are places in the United States of America, and there especially were in the mid-80s, early 80s, where homes were falling down and people still lived in them. You've heard of a house called a shack. I've, I've seen shacks. Charles lived in a house like that. I'm pretty sure he didn't have running water in his house. And he lived in town, South Fulton, Tennessee. We became good friends that summer. Played basketball three times a day, every day. Hung out. Yes, I noticed that Charles didn't smell great, but I was a teenage boy myself. I mean, stink is what you do at, you know, 13, 14. I wish I could tell you, I wish I didn't have to, I need to tell you the next part so you'll understand what insecurity does. Because I, I've tried to find Charles since then, and I can't. So school started, eighth grade year. Everyone knows how kind middle schoolers are, right? So Charles and I were friends. Charles didn't have running water. He was doing the best he could do, but he also was a teenage boy who played basketball. Well, that's when I found out that Charles was anathema to the rest of the school. My best friend over the summer was someone that my peers and all of their wisdom had decided should be an outsider and judged for it. I wish I could tell you that I stood up for my friend. This is my buddy Charles. We stink together. Forget you guys. That's not what I did. I was going into eighth grade, and just like most of you, I just wanted not to be persecuted in the hallways every day. And so I turned my back on my friend. Nowadays, we call it ghosting. I stopped going to the basketball court, and I stopped hanging out with Charles, and I was the only friend he had. This event culminated in a lunchroom brawl where Charles called me out for abandoning him. And I lost, that was the last time I spoke to him, and that was the last time I remember seeing him, actually. He ended up moving away not too long after that. I, as a teenager, and I know you're forgiving to me because you're like, you're not very smart now, Michael, but I bet you were even less smart then. But all I wanted was to be liked by my peers. And I was willing to sacrifice my friend because I wanted to be liked. And in that bondage, I gave up a friend for some acceptance because of fear of criticism, a desire for approval, and a fear of judgment from idiots. I know you're like, Michael, you shouldn't call them idiots. Were you ever a teenager? I just want you to see that sometimes we do horrible things for stupid reasons. And one of those stupid reasons is to feel like we're being accepted or getting approval. You see, I already have approval. My father looks at me and he says, dearly loved, greatly enjoyed. He looks at me and he says, he has the righteousness of God 
I gave it to him. That's part of salvation, by the way, if I just gave you a hitch. It's, it's, it's a legitimate, orthodox view of the gospel. He gave you the righteousness of God. That's how he relates to us. You didn't earn it. You could never earn it. In fact, the only way to ensure you never get the righteousness of God is to keep trying to earn the righteousness of God. So our insecurity drives us into places and causes us to do things that do harm, that do us great harm. Hebrews 11.6 tells us it's impossible to please God without faith, without believing. Or let me give you a better word that I think works better in the English language at this time in history. They, they can't please God without trust. Trusting God. That's what faith is. Anyone who wants to come to God must believe that God exists and that he rewards those or blesses those or carries those who sincerely seek him. You see, if we don't believe that God will care for us, if we don't believe that God dearly loves us and greatly enjoys us, this is what brings us into a place of, of faithlessness, a place, has your faith, has your life ever been such that you keep trying, I'm, I'm going to do it this time, I'm going to get to church this time, I'm going to start giving this time, I'm going to lose weight this time, I'm going to make friends this time, I'm going to be a good husband this time. Does any of that ring, resonate with you? All of that comes from a, a fear of not being loved by God, of not trusting God. You say, how does that apply? I mean, my wife and I are having trouble. Okay, let's apply it. If I trust God, then I trust that God can take the difficulties that I'm in and God can move in those circumstances. Now, I know you're sitting there going, well, what if? Yeah, but Michael, it's bad right now. It's not very good right now. The Word of God says that God makes all things work together for good. Doesn't it say that to them that love God that are called to the orange's purpose? So guess what? If it isn't good yet, new song, Joy in the Morning by Tarn Wells, if it isn't good yet, it ain't done yet. Right. Oh, I guess I'm going to say that a few more times. We... We, when we begin to believe and trust in God and learn that he's going to take things and make them right, he's going to do things and those things are going to make things right, then we can walk through life without that need for approval, that desire to be accepted by others. I've been in, in this town, I mentioned it last week, 20 years. You might be surprised to know that in that 20 years, not everyone has loved me. I know, I'm just as shocked as you. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, I love me. Why don't you love me? I'm a, over the years, I've had people who've intentionally targeted me for, you know, wrath, gossip, grapevine things. I, I know you're shocked. I was shocked as well. <sighs> Still shocked. <sighs> now, I know I look very calm uh, up here in front of you, but I actually sometimes, most days, struggle with anxiety a bit. And so when people don't like me, Guess what I do? Just blow it off and carry on my happy life? Oh, no. Oh, no. I have to lay up half the night and think about it and solve it 50 ways from Sunday and figure out what God's going to do about it. And I give God, I give God the best plans. <laughs> oh, I give God good plans. I'm like, oh, you know what, Lord? If you would take this person and transfer them to another city. 
You know, this person here is getting up there in the years, Lord. They could go on home. I'm just saying. I know you're sitting there going, Michael, that's awful. <laughs> yes, yes, Michael in his insecurity is awful. That's what you need to know. Michael in his insecurity, in his fear, in his faithlessness, in his inability to trust God is not a fun guy to know. Please don't ask my wife. She got story and testimony, okay? You don't, I don't want you to hear it. But anyway, <laughs> if we can begin to believe that God trusts that God loves us, and that he enjoys us, therefore he will take care of us. Then we could also move into a place where we could begin to believe and trust that God will empower us. I wish I could help you understand that the gospel is not triage or quick medical treatment just to keep you alive until you die. The gospel is meant to change the world, and you're a player. You're a major part. The fact that you are here is evidence that God has an incredible purpose that you are here to fulfill. And he'll empower you to do that. And we're trying to get there the wrong way. You know, a lot of times we're like, okay, I'm just going to do, and I'm going to dream up stuff for God until he likes me, and then he'll give me power to do the things that Jesus talked about. If I can just make God happy, that's so frustrating. I, I, don't, I don't know how God deals with it. I, I, Watchman Nee talked about being in Christ, and, he, and I've used this illustration before, but it just was so profound in my life. He said it's, being in Christ is just people who are trying to get in Christ are just people who are trying to get into a room that they are already in. Just mm, drive you crazy. I, it's, like, it's like if I started telling you now, okay, everybody, sit down. <laughs> Some of you I know well enough to know you're about to stand up. You're just like, nobody tells me what to do. <laughs> Betty's boy does what he wants. That's my, my mom's name. Ah, frustrating. But if you begin to realize that the Father dearly loves you, greatly enjoys you, wants to empower your life, has you, you are not, you are not just some window dressing set to the side. You're not something to be set on a shelf. You are God's workmanship. You are God's masterpiece, God's tapestry, God's concert. You are all of that. And, and for purpose in this world, that's, that's beautiful. And if you can embrace that and trust that, then all of a sudden things get empowered in your life. And things you couldn't do before, you begin to do. Oh, we're going to be talking a lot about giving in the future. And I know you're like, oh, I'm so excited. I'm actually pretty excited. Because a lot of times, it's not that we don't talk about giving. We are just... We're trying to help you understand that we're not about your money. We don't want anything from you, but oh, the things we want for you. That's what I really want you to understand. I'll never forget when my wife and I started to give. This was a, a big threshold in our life. And back then, you know, our pastors, I grew up in a Baptist church and was ordained in Baptist churches. And I, uh, 
they talked about the tithe, the tithe, which is just a Hebrew word means 10%. And that's how I was taught to fund the church. Well, here's the problem. You, you ever heard that country song? There's probably 70 country songs that have the line, well, there was too much month at the end of the money. Well, I sang that on the second day of the month. There's just too much month at the end of the money. And so, you know, I, I was just, have you ever wanted God so much that you were willing to do something crazy? And maybe you've never been there, I, I don't know. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bet if you've never been there, it's probably on your calendar and you just don't know yet. But we were, like, so broke. We had, how many kids did we have when we lived in Horsville? Three? Four? She's the memory. I'm just the mouth. Okay. Cody, that's right. Four. Four kids, Hornersville, Missouri. Population, 650. So, I, I was working for Hardy's Food Systems back then. I was a burger flipper. But I was the head burger flipper, so, I mean, you got that, you know. There wasn't any way to generate more income. We had three kids. At the time, I don't know what it's like today, but at that time, once you hit child number three, child care options were pretty much going to take up anything you could make. <clears throat> I'm assuming it's about that way today. <clears throat> so we couldn't afford it. So here's what we did because we were stupid. But we love God, I guess. I, I don't know. We just said, you know what, Lord? This is your promise. So we started to give. I'm not making this up. <laughs> there was too much month at the end of the money. Within a year, we had paid off all our debt. We, we, had, we had, we had paid off. I'm sorry, I know there's that. How much time I got? People talk about, um, okay, so we bought a couch and some chairs at a finance company back in 1992, 91. And some of you are going, oh no. Some of you remember finance companies. Yeah, yeah, because uh, you, you would love to see 19% interest at one of those places. But they were like, oh, yeah, you can have this today and just make this small monthly payment. And during that time, after we began giving, uh, that we, pay, we finally, six years afterwards or five years, however long it was, four or five years afterwards, we finally paid off that love seat or the, the living room set that we bought for $1,200 four or five years earlier. I sent them a check for $1,600 to do the payoff and I'd made payments on it for five years. So that's how interest works. That was my lesson. I once was blind, but now I see. And old brother, did it cost me? Anyway, so many of those kind of things. I just want you to see that when you step into trust and you say, well, you know what? God says he'll bless if I give. God says he'll bless if I love my enemies. God says he'll bless if I serve others. God says he'll bless. Do I trust God or do I put my faith in or rather my doubt in what I can see? We don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. And that faith trusts that God will provide that God will restore, that God will heal, that God will renew. You know, he didn't stop being the creator, right? He just decided to start using your tongue instead of his own. 
Meaning that you begin to speak into your life from a place of belief and trust. And things begin to change. You see, today, what I want you to see is that if you can, if you can root yourself, and that's, a, that's an idea pulled directly from Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, where Paul prays that we would root ourselves in the love of God. In fact, that's, a, that's an amazing prayer that I could just teach on and talk about how we are beloved from that simple prayer in Ephesians 3.14. But if you will root yourself in the love of God, which is the acceptance of God, which is the enjoyment of God, which is the joy of God, the goodness of God, the gentleness of God, the kindness of God, it's all of those things. If you root yourself in that, then from that place, amazing things can happen, not just in your life, but in this world. We have to start thinking larger than our own little lifetimes and our own little world. In fact, I would say this is the first time in the history of Christendom that churches only think about their immediate future. I have yet to talk to a church that has a succession plan after the pastor that currently is in that role if anything ever happens to him. And before you ask me if we have one, it's up here. <clears throat> we have to realize that what we're doing at Ordinary Faith, it isn't just for us. It's for this guy. It's for my son and my grandchildren, and your daughter, and their grandchildren, and your great-grandchildren. We're not, we're not trying to be the coolest church in town. I, I don't think with me and Steve that's a risk, but still. <laughs> we're trying to build a legacy of faith that trains worshipers disciples and worshipers that begin to shake the spiritual foundations of Rock Springs, Green River, Rollins, Casper, Cheyenne, Buffalo, Jackson Hole, Jackson Hole. The Mountain States. Do you realize how many people come through Rock Springs are here two, three, four years and then move on? What if we could be the church that infected them with the love of God? And all of a sudden, out of Rock Springs, ordinary faith and whatever, anyone that will partner with us, anyone that will believe with us, and they begin to move out and back down to Texas or back over to California, God help them, or over, just teasing, just teasing. And they begin to take a belief, a core-rooted belief that they are loved by God. When you know you're loved by God, you begin to tune with heaven. And the song of your life changes. You, be, you stop walking through life in that dirge that everyone else is singing. Oh, it's so bad, it's so bad, the worst day. I had a worse day than you, oh, it's so bad. Stop it. Dial that back, man. Inside you lives the master, creator, designer, 
And everywhere you go, just like Jesus, now he's in you. People did not know what was up with Jesus, but they knew something was up with Jesus. And it drew people to him. Why? Because everywhere he went, he carried the tune of heaven. He carried the song of the kingdom. And people are like, I know that song, but I never heard it before. That's what the love of God will do for us. And out of that place of love, we begin to move and change. I, I know to some of you, you're, you're not really, and it's okay. There's a lot of significance in this morning's message. What is on God's heart for us to do? And I say that, I, I say that honestly, on God's heart for us to do. I promise you that we are not in a like, oh, Pastor Michael dreamed this up, so we're going to do this. Uh, that ain't how I roll. How I roll is, how can we get done today and I can get to my deck and watch the roosters crow behind my house? <clears throat> Just kidding. The Father is, is leading us into a place, and here's the thing. Every church in town has been where we are right now. Every one of them. They've been at a place where it's like, okay, we have a really big task before us and we don't have the strength and we don't have the money and we don't have the energy, we don't have the intelligence and we don't have the resources. And the Father's, the father's laughing. Not at us. The Father's laughing just like you laugh over your children when they're all freaked out about something and you know, this is going to be wonderful. This is going to be amazing. I'm going, the Father is, is, is with us right now in the room, and he's saying to himself, I'm going to blow their minds. I know you're sitting there going, does God really say that? Yes, he says that. Come on. He loves us. He enjoys us. And I think he's probably cool. He invented butterflies. And he, he taught someone how to make coffee. That was a good day. That was a good day. That was a good day. You see, <laughs> I really am going to conclude eventually, but I'm, I'm, I'm right here, and I just want you to... You can't get to where we're going on tips and spare time. Where we're going is a place of vision and legacy. Yes, we're going to build a building. And God's going to miraculously provide. And when that building stands, that building will never be ordinary faith. That building will be the ministry center. Training center. You pick whatever cool thing you want to say about it. It'll be where the church meets. But it'll never be the church itself. We'll never worship a building. You can fire me first and then do it. But that's not what will happen. What we will do, though, is we'll put an anchor in the city. We'll put a, a stake and we'll drive a tent stake down. Oh, that's hilarious. To hold us in place. So that my children and your children and our grandchildren 
and all those who come behind and everyone who comes through this place and all of them learn about God's love and it turns them into emissaries of the Father. It turns them into Jesus Christians, Christ-like little Jesuses everywhere they go because they'll start walking around going, I am dearly loved and greatly enjoyed. I don't need you to like me, but I'm still going to love you. Do you see? That's what's before us. Don't be scared. I've already been scared for you. I'm not kidding. Ask my wife. I've shed the tears. I've argued with God. I might have shouted. <laughs> he says the craziest things to me. And I know you're sitting there going, well, yeah, that's because you're nuts. That's why he says crazy things to you. He says things like, hey, Michael. He really does. He, does say, he says this to the Spirit to me all the time. Hey, Michael, what if things are getting better? And I'm like, do you not see what I see? And he's like, oh, I see. But you don't see what I see. I love, I love what Jen Johnson said. We have to learn to see what the Father sees and say what the Father says. I love it. And that's what we're doing. So don't be scared. Anticipate. This is about to get fun. This is about to get really fun. And you are going to walk away from this experience a year, two years, three years from now. You're going to walk away from this and you're going to be like you have before, like many of you have before, like I have many stories before as well. You're going to walk away and go, oh my goodness, look what God has done. Yeah. Look what God has done. Yeah. Look what God has done. Hey, Steve, would you come up and um, play a little bit for us? I, um, I want you to respond today in communion. And here's why. Jesus... Oh. Jesus is about to walk into the the moment the moment he's going to walk into the moment the night that he's with his disciples he's walking into the moment where God is going to declare, declare unequivocally his love for you and, and God's doing that individually and corporately. He loves you and he loves you. And that's what communion is about. Communion is about the disciples, the followers, the worshipers. And they come together and they're loved. Because that's how John begins in John 13. He says, Jesus loved his disciples and he loved them to the very end. John 13, 1. He loved them. And so everybody in that room, everybody in this room is someone dearly loved by Jesus. And so when you're dearly loved by Jesus and you come together over a, a small cup of wine and a piece of bread that both symbolize Jesus' sacrifice, His brokenness, 
and they promise something to you. They promise that what's happening in the body of Christ isn't about a thousand or a million or a billion believers. It's about one body. And so when we take communion together, what we say is, we're together. You're with me. I'm with you. And we're in him. And that's my response I have for you today. You know, there's going to be a lot in the next few weeks. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be fun. Might be a little chaotic. We'll have a guy come in who tells good jokes. Steve and I will keep telling the bad ones. But in this moment, in this moment, we get to come together. We're not pulled 20 different directions. We're together. And some of you are like, well, this isn't my church. But today, could you be with us and could you hold us up and could you pray for us? And could, could today, even though you, have, you may have a congregation, could today you be we with us? And if you don't have a church and you live here in town, maybe you would like a place to belong. We'll talk about that after the gala. But right now, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. Where do you think they all learned this, by the way? All these believers, this is the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, 5,000 new believers. In fact, the idea of a believer was brand new that day. 5,000 of them, and all they decide, they devote themselves. They're devoted together. They're devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, and the, the, the Lord's Supper, and to prayer, all these things. They learned it from the, the 11 guys who learned it from the one guy. So they shared in the Lord's Supper, and a deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together in the temple each day. They met at homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. That's us. That's who we are. Father, today we ask, have your way within us. Have your way within us that we would come to trust your love for us, that we would come to believe your love for us, that we would, Father, come and anchor our lives on the fact that you love us, that that would spill out and over from us as you fill us, that it would just flood the area around us, the people around us, that your love would flow through us, that when people look at us, they would be loved, that when people disagree with us, they would be loved, that when people offend us, they would be loved simply because you love them as you love us. Father, change our hearts, 
Change our hearts to trust your love for us. Change our hearts to share your love with others. Let that transform our city and our community. Everyone that comes into contact with us. We commit to you today to be loved because we are loved. Thank you for this time. Bless our week as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all. Have a fantastic week.